Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yes. Get the call back. Um, so, uh, you know, thank you, uh, Silky, um, and for everyone at DWN um, for putting together this conference. Um, it's such an important space, and it's so amazing to be on this panel with many of my heroes and to see many of my heroes out there uh, in the audience. So, um, thank you uh, uh, for that. Um, it's a little bit daunting to um, have to talk about what the last 20 years under the 1996 laws um, have meant. Um, and, and part of that, uh, what makes it so difficult, um, is because I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of expertise um, in this room. Um, you know, we talk about the laws, uh, you know, there's the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, uh, EDPA. Um, and that's the one that we're, we're heading into the 20th um, anniversary this weekend of living under that, that law. Um, and then the uh, quote-unquote illegal immigration reform and immigrant responsibility act, um, uh, the anniversary of that will be out in September. And together these two laws have really um, defined and changed uh, what immigration law has looked like on the ground for the last 20 years in a really uh, terrifying uh, way. Um, but I think, you know, you all know that. Um, so, you know, I thought I would start by just asking a, a quick question, um, uh, which is to, to ask you um, whether you know someone, um, love someone, have worked with someone who has been detained and deported because of the 1996 laws. Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. Um, and lest we, you know, totally make this conversation incredibly depressing. Um, do you uh, know someone, love someone, work with someone, are someone who uh, faced detention and possible deportation, but have figured out a way to stay here and to be here with your community um, despite the 1996 laws? Okay. Yeah. So, so to me, those are the two sides of the story when you talk about what the 96 laws have meant. Um, there's a, a story of incredible oppression and despair um, that have been caused by these laws, um, but there's also a story of incredible resiliency and creativity on the part of everyone in this room and all the people um, uh, that we live with and work with every day. Um, and so when people ask that kind of question to think back, I often start by thinking, the first person who comes to mind really because I'm, I am a, a lawyer and um, I teach uh, the Immigrant Rights Clinic at NYU, is actually thinking of the story of um, my very first client when I was a student um, at the clinic that I now um, co-teach. And um, his name is James, although everybody who knows him um, calls him Lefty. Um, he's called Lefty because he grew up in New York and as a kid would play handball with his left hand. Um, and he basically, like many of the people that might come to mind when you answer these questions about the 96 laws, I mean, He's, he's an American, he grew up here, he, he came here from Hong Kong, um, uh, but he went to school in the United States, he, he worked here, he got married, um, he had children. By the time I met him, he had a grandchild. Um, and his life was that of an American, and like most Americans, um, uh, he's had uh, some challenges in his life. Um, and like a growing number of Americans, I think the statistic varies between one in three and one in four, he, d he did have a criminal record. Um, and you know, he, he basically caught, caught up in the system. His uncle uh, worked for the New York City Water Department, had um, uh, basically worked out this thing where he was helping folks <laughs> fix their water bills, um, 
Lefty was his nephew. Began, he was working as a driver, so he would drive him from place to place. It got caught up, ended up getting a federal fraud conviction. Um, and the day he was supposed to be released from prison for that conviction, he got a, a, a short but obviously still very devastating sentence. Um, his family expected to pick him up and to go home. But as, again, you all know because you do this work, um, he wasn't um, allowed to go home. He was sent straight into immigration detention. And as a New Yorker, he actually ended up um, in Oakdale, Louisiana for a few years. Um, and this will happen before I ever met him. Um, again, the story of resiliency and creativity of folks who are caught up in the system. He was in devastating conditions, but what he did, um, and, and he was found to have what's called an aggravated felony, and we'll talk in a second about what that is. What he did was, um, uh, along with uh, folks in detention, his, his colleagues who came up with this argument, he successfully argued that he couldn't be deported because he was not, quote unquote, an alien, another awful term in the immigration laws, um, that he was a national of the US. And, um, and, and because national is a term that was defined as someone who owes permanent allegiance. As it turns out that that term, you know, uh, the courts over time, they, they said, no, it means that you were born in a US territory. But for, for a few years, he was the one who got a federal court to agree with this argument. He got himself out of detention. He returned to his family. We got involved as his attorneys because um, the government was like, what? You won that argument? And they tried to um, do a, a motion to reconsider. And the judge was like, OK, we're going to appoint counsel in this case. So, so we got involved, we fought that argument. Eventually we lost in the Court of Appeals and the argument lost across the country. We are like, okay, let's go back to the aggravated felony, challenge that. Um, I worked on this case for um, three years and then I graduated. The year um, I came back uh, to teach the Immigrant Rights Clinic, that first week um, he um, was able to go into court and based on the aggravated felony argument got his case terminated. And that first week I was there as a teacher, I got to, to sit there with his new students and, and, and walk out of the courtroom with our arms around each other. And that was the first time in all the years that I had known him, this six-year process, um, that he, he ever cried. And he cried because he was finally able to imagine a life where he didn't have this hanging over his head. And that's what the 96 laws you know, mean to me. Uh, the, again, the incredible amount of oppression, taking years of his life in detention, and this, this fear hanging over his head, and then the incredible amount of resiliency. He was a member of Families for Freedom. You know, people fought for him. He tried these creative arguments. We lost them. We tried something else, and that's what you've had to do. But we all know that, that very few people, and the hundreds of thousands of people who get detained and deported this year are able to do that because the system is that harsh and the resources are so small. Um, so that's what I think of when I think of the 96 laws. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the conversation that we have today, is how do we increase our resiliency um, so that we can really imagine a system where people don't have to live under such oppressive rules. Thank you. That was awesome.